This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And for the last three years, I've tried everything. I've gone to this person. I've gone to Arabs. I've gone to Israelis to try to get the operation working again and no avail. But finally, after three years, it looks like God is opening up the doors again. And I'm not gonna tell you from something that's gonna be on the internet how it is. But what was so important for Boaz was to be honorable in his efforts to marry Ruth. And that was the great value behind Boaz saying when it says in verse 14, verse 14, let it not be known that a woman came onto the floor. You know, it was so, it would have been so easy for Boaz. He could have just said, taking this opportunity to influence that other man, you know, who had the first right of refusal for Boaz. All Boaz had to do was just let it be known that Ruth spent the night with him, and that would have caused the other man to say, ah, slut, sleep around, loose woman. Who wants a woman like that? But Boaz was not going to manipulate like that. He was playing the game honorably. He only wanted Ruth if he was 100% sure that God wanted for him to have Ruth and that he had no influence over the other man's decision. See, that was proof that Boaz was really at peace with this. That's why he said in verse 13, verse 13, if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well. How can he say well? Well, he's in love with this woman. Because he was saying, nevertheless, not my will, but God's will be done, but thine be done. And that's a model for our life, to always say in life, I want this, but nevertheless, God's will be done. If he doesn't want it, I don't want it. So that's where we left off Boaz, in a state of peace, perfect peace, our future all unknown. Jesus we know, and he's on the throne. But evidently, Ruth, she wasn't sharing in this peace, perfect peace. And when she arrives home, this is evident because Naomi conceived, Ruth is agitated. So Naomi tells her in verse 18, then said she, sit still, my daughter, 
until thou know how the matter will fall, for the man will not be at rest until he have finished the thing this day. What's it mean to sit still? What's it mean to sit still? Sit still, first of all, sitting still is hard work. Take it from me, very hard. <laughs> it's a very hard work to sit still is to fight against a restlessness, against an anxiety, against a worry. To sit still is to fight against taking matters into my own hands. You know, we can't change the past, but we can sure ruin the future by, by worrying, ruin the present by worrying about the future, as Sam told us. You know, sitting still is hard work. It's hard work. Some think that when the Bible says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you, that that's really an invitation to kick back with a whatever attitude. You know, that verse tells us that we have a part, and God has a part in our care. This is not fatalism here. God's part is he careth for you. God's part is he will take care of you. That's God's job. That's God's job. But we have a job in that. That verse gives us our job as well. When it says, casting all your care upon him, that's our part. And casting is hard work. It's hard work. It's a constant work of casting our care on God. When we feel anxious over something, that's, it's really a call to consciously see the anxiety as a light from God that's shining on a care that we have, and we haven't cast it yet on the Lord. So, that is very important for us to see that verse is what we have to do, casting your, all your care upon him. And the verse that we rely on is one that says, be careful for nothing, Philippians 4.6, Philippians 4.6, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep or guard or, or set a sentry shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That word careful is very important to understand. It says be careful for nothing. What does it mean to be careful for nothing? It means a balance. There's a balance in being careful for nothing. On the one hand, to be careful for nothing does not mean to become passive in life and adopt this, as I said, fatalistic whatever attitude. On the other hand, to be careful for nothing means to not make our lives to be consumed with providing for ourselves, which means that we don't become consumed with worrying over our health, over our food, over our clothing. That's all what was encompassed when the Lord said in Matthew 6.25, Matthew 6.25, therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, that'd be health, what you shall put on, that'd be clothing, is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. So it's a balance. It's a balance. Passivity is a great problem today. We're living in an age of passivity. We're living in a world of whatever. Passivity causes laziness, what the Bible calls slothfulness. Laziness feeds on fear. That's why it says in Proverbs 22, 13, Proverbs 20, 13, the slothful man saith, there's a lion without. I shall be slain in the streets. See, that's a description of a person who really plays it safe, over safe. And he never takes any risks. And he's never going to go anywhere because fear is so gripping that it enters the realm of the irrational, like saying, I don't want to go outside because there's a lion in the street ready to kill me. You know, I really like the speaker that we had last at the Creation Museum on you know, Christmas Under the Stars. And he made a great distinction 
between the questions that a fearful person asks versus a courageous person. The fearful person asks the question, is it over yet? <laughs> is it done? Are we done? Is it over yet? And you know what the courageous person asks? What's next? What's next? The fearful person says, that was pretty rough. I got pretty bruised up. I don't want to do that again. All I want to know is if it's over yet. I don't want to take any more risks like that. Whereas the courageous person says, that was adventurous. That was fun. What's next? Well, when Naomi said to Ruth, the man will not be in rest until he has finished the thing this day, Naomi was really saying Boaz was not a passive man. Boaz was not a whatever type of person. Boaz was not going down the street of whatever because the street of whatever leads to the house of never. You know, so that wasn't Boaz. So when Naomi said about Boaz, this verse 18, the man will not be in rest until he has finished the thing this day, she's telling Ruth, Boaz is driven by a sense of urgency. You know, he will finish this thing today, this day. And every man should be driven by a sense of urgency in certain areas. One area is salvation. It's a good thing to feel anxious and urgency over the problem of unforgiven sins, over the problem of the approaching wrath and judgment of God, over the problem of the nearness of the end of life and knowledge that after that comes the judgment over the problem of the imminent entrance into eternity, the anxiety of restlessness, not being at rest, designed by God for a person to drive him into action. And here's how God describes that problem and the actions that a man should take in Isaiah 64.6. Isaiah 64.6, very famous verse. We are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And there is none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold. The very graphic word, chazak, to take hold, to seize, to be strong, to conquer. There is none that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee, for thou hast hid thy face from us and consumed us because of our iniquities. Here's a problem. We are all as an unclean thing. That's a problem. When it says we are all, that means that that means we are all. That means there's not one person who's not dirty and defiled inside. That's a real problem. And what should be done there is the description of verse 18, not be at rest today to settle that score. And the second problem is, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. When it says all our righteousnesses as filthy rags, that means that there's nothing that you can do, nothing that I can do, nothing we can do to clean ourselves up. When we try to do good works, we only make it worse. And the problem is our uncleanness gets worse. We just make it worse when we consider that our good works and our righteousnesses can overcome the filth within because they're dirty rags as well. We can't do anything to fix ourselves. The problem of our cleanness, as it says in Jeremiah 2.22, Jeremiah 2.22, for though thou wash thee with nitre, strong soap, and take thee much soap, yet thine iniquity is marked before me, saith the Lord God. 
And the third problem is, the third problem is, from Isaiah 64, we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. That means that our sins are the cause of being blown away, blown away from God into hell, into judgment, as it says in the very first Psalm, Psalm 1-4, Psalm 1-4, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So these are real problems for man, that he has sinned, that he has become unclean inside, that he cannot do anything, any, cannot do any good works or of own righteousness to fix the uncleanness, and that at judgment, he's going to fall. Now, that's a good thing to be anxious over. That's a good thing to be restless over, because whereas to do nothing about that is the ultimate problem, and God describes that problem of being passive and doing nothing as in verse 7 of Isaiah 64, 7, Isaiah 64, 7, there is none that calleth upon me that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. That's an anxiety. That's an anxiety of being the man described in verse 18, of just being at rest that he's supposed to drive him, drive every one of us to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved and to rely on this promise, to grab a hold of this promise in Romans 10, 13, Romans 10, 13. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. See, those fears should drive a person to call out, Lord Jesus, save me from my sins. And then God says that a person should be so anxious about his doomed condition that he should stir himself up and take hold, seize, take hold of God. He should be the man in verse 18. And when it says, take hold, and again, that's that word, hazak, that means to seize or be strong or conquer. It's a word that's used for warfare. God uses for a person to be saved. You gotta fight your way in. And God has some very specific instructions for a person who does not feel at peace with God. And God says in Isaiah 20, 27, 5, Isaiah 27, 5, let him take hold of my strength that he may make peace with me and he shall make peace with me. So God says that a person who's not at peace with God and knows they're not at peace with God he used to take hold of the strength of God, that word chazak again. He's going to fight his way, take hold of God, and said, I'm going to make peace with God if it kills me. So anxiety over not being saved, that's a good anxiety, and it should drive to this ultimate response, like when Boaz says he's going to finish it this day, of 2 Corinthians 6 2, 2 Corinthians 6 2. For he saith, I've heard thee in a time accepted. In the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you're not saved today, if you're, in this, if you're in this building right now and you're not saved today, God says, today's the day you need to be saved. Now, not later, that's passive. But grab a hold, fight, take hold, be saved. So it says twice in that verse in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, 2 Corinthians 6, 2. It says twice, now. That means now is the time to take action. Call on the name of the Lord to be saved. That's a good anxiety of being like it says in verse 18, not at rest. When a, when a person is anxious, when a person is anxious, there are many chemicals which are produced in the brain. And there are, these are called neurotransmitters. And two in particular, dopamine and serotonin. Dopamine and serotonin are two neurotransmitters which come about during anxiety. There's an epidemic of anxiety in our country. That's good. But... 
What's not good is that medical science or doctors have stepped in and have put one in six people in our country on antipsychotic drugs. You know, these are like chemical straitjackets. They're drugs like Prozac, Seroquel, Zypress, Ablify, Risperidone or Respiradol, Respiradone, Johnson & Johnson, $4 billion market in sales per year. Think of how many people there are taking that. Many of these drugs, what they do, they block the actions of dopamine and serotonin. They block the receptors for them. So they induce a chemical passivity. One in six people, one in six people in the U.S. are taking these antipsychotic drugs for all their lives. It's not just like temporarily. It's like, no, this is going to be a lifetime for you. And these are typically blocking these receptors in the brains that cause anxiety. To block anxiety, these drugs induce a chemical passivity. And some anxieties are good for the soul. For example, feeling anxious over the need to be saved, that's a good anxiety and not something to be put into a passive state over. And when a person feels anxious over being separated from God, he'll fight to find God. He'll fight to search for God. That's a good anxiety to feel feel anxious over being separated from God. Like he said in Isaiah 59.2, Isaiah 59.2, your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid your face, and he will not hear. It's a good anxiety to feel that God has abandoned a person, as it says in Hosea 5.15, Hosea 5.15. I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they'll seek me early. Till they acknowledge their offense, that would be confessing sins. And seek my face, that would be calling on the name of the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, save me from my sins. Till they bakash, till they, till they fight, till they search for God's face, till they fight to find God's face. So anxiety is good when it drives a person to fight to search for God, to fight to find God. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know, God speaking, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me, bakash, you'll fight to search, you'll fight to find God, and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart, and I will be found of you, saith the Lord. All right, so that's the first anxiety, which is good. Anxiety about feeling like I'm separated from God, I'm lost, I'm not safe from my sins. I'm going to be judged for my sins. I'm going to be going to hell. That's a good anxiety. There's another anxiety. There's another anxiety that's good, and it's designed by God to put us into action, and that can be seen in Ezekiel 22.30. Ezekiel 22.30, where God said, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge, stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Tragedy. Isaiah 59 16, Isaiah 59, 16 says, and he saw that there was no man, God said, God said, it says, God saw there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him. God is very concerned over the sinful state of our world and over the fact that sinners are going to the destruction of hell. He's very concerned about that. And he wants us to take action. He wants us to stop sinners 
from being destroyed in hell. And we can. And it hasn't all been predetermined, foreordained in a fatalistic manner. No, he's calling to us to become a hedge, to stand in the gap between an angry God and a sinful man. That's the work of intercession. That's the work of intercession. And God is looking for people who will take him seriously in this matter of intercession. What does it mean to be an intercessor? What is that? What does that mean? When it says to stand in the gap, it means to stand in between. It means to stand in between God and a particular sinner to plead for that sinner. It means for us to really get involved to the point of confessing the sins of that sinner to God and to say that if it was not for the grace of God, I'd be in the same boat as that sinner. Confessing the sins of others is what Daniel did. We see Daniel doing this. Daniel did this a lot. It says in Daniel 9.5, Daniel 9.5, where Daniel says, we, that means Daniel, we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. That was Daniel 9.5. And then he goes on in the same chapter, Daniel 9.8. Daniel 9.8. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face to our kings and to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. And then he goes on in the 11th verse, Daniel 9.11, Daniel 9.11. Yea, all Israel has transgressed thy law, even by departing, that they might obey thy voice. Therefore, the curse is poured out upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against thee. This is the man that was so, so much with God. He was opening up his windows every day, even though he's going to be thrown in a lion's den. And he's saying, we have sinned. He's identifying that much with the people. That's intercession. He goes on in verse 15, Daniel 9.15, Daniel 9.15. And now, O Lord our God, that has brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and has gotten thee renowned as at this day, we have sinned and we have done wickedly. That was Daniel. Jeremiah, same thing. Jeremiah the prophet, Jeremiah the intercessor. Jeremiah the intercessor is confessing the sin of others in Jeremiah 3.25. Jeremiah 3.25. We lie down in our shame, and confusion covereth us, for we have sinned against the Lord our God. We and our fathers from our youth, even unto this day, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. That's Jeremiah. Jeremiah goes on in chapter 8, verse 14. Jeremiah 8.14. Why do we sit still? Assemble ourselves. Let us enter into the defense cities. Let us be silent there, for the Lord our God hath put us to silence and have given us water of gall to drink, because we have sinned against the Lord. Jeremiah 14.7, Jeremiah 14.7. O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do thou it for thy name's sake, for our backslidings are many. We have sinned against thee. Jeremiah 14.20. We acknowledge, O Lord, our wickedness, and the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against thee. Then he goes on and he writes a whole book called Lamentations. Who writes a book called Lamentations? But he writes a book called Sadness. In Lamentations 5, 7, Jeremiah says, our fathers have sinned and are not, we have borne their iniquities. Lamentations 5, as Lamentations 5, 7, Lamentations 5, 17 says, Lamentations 5, 17, the crown is fallen from our head. Woe unto us, for we have sinned. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.